Hi guys, and welcome back to another episode of Motor Up Sports. I'm your host, Kenny Eaton, and I am so proud of the Pistons lately. Like, this is the exact progress I've been wanting them to make. Look, I want to start off Pistons, move into the Lions. They pissed me off again. I'll get into that. Then I want to move into Michigan and Michigan State basketball, because next week we got more basketball starting, and that makes me even more excited. Really, really looking forward to next week. And then I just want to finish off with like my final thoughts of things I missed out about uh, the post-game brawl. I'm going to start off with Kate Cunningham. <laughs> he's a man on a mission right now. What he's doing is literally much better than I expected coming into this year. Did I expect the guy to have a stretch? And I'm going to read off the games because this is something as a Pistons fan, you should sit there. And be like, the national media needs to talk about this more. In the Atlanta game, game one, he had 26, 8, and 6 with two blocks. Game two against Atlanta, had he not got foul trouble that game, he probably would have had 45 to 50 points, but he finished with 35, 9, and 8. Golden State, 23, 10, and 9. And then Milwaukee uh, Monday night, 27, 6, and 7. Are those numbers that I expected from a year two player? Absolutely not. The dude's looking like in the last four games, like a guy who's going to be an all-star. Like a guy who could. I'm going to watch my words because it's a small sample size still. Could be all NBA second or third team if he plays like this the rest of the year. Those numbers are all NBA numbers. What he's doing from mid-range is deadly. He is so good there. He's so automatic. Like every single time I see him pull up at the elbow, I'm like, yep, that's going in. His mid-range jumper is a beauty. And I honestly think his three-pointer is starting to come along as well. And as soon as that becomes as automatic as his middies, there is no stopping Kate Cunningham. Nobody's going to be able to do it. He's the greatest thing that has happened to Detroit sports in God knows how long. What he is doing, he's showing he's a leader. He's showing he's mature. He's showing that I'm that guy. And I'm going to be that guy for this franchise and win them championships. If there's any athlete in the city that I want to win a championship, it's Kate Cunningham. From day one, he's embraced the city. From day one, his his camp and his family's embraced the city. What has athletes come to Detroit and have actually embraced the city the way Ivy and Kate are? Let's think about it. Let's look back to our glory years of the Tigers. You had Verlander. You had Miggy. You had Scherzer. Those three, they never embraced the city. The city embraced them. It's mutual for Ivy and Kate. Stafford never embraced the city. You guys can argue that one all you want. Cade and Ivy are the first athletes we've had in a, probably since the 04 Pistons that have embraced the city the way they did. And they better not come out ringless like Verlander and all of them did. Because that would kill me inside. What they have done lately, and I'm going to give you a lot of credit to Dwayne Casey. I, was, I haven't really ripped on him. Much, I, I've kind of said he's replaceable. We all know he's replaceable. What I will say is his rotations have been substantially better the last couple games. 
He's gone to nine guys, which is why I think that any every NBA team should run a nine man rotation. You should not be playing ten guys in the NBA. I'm glad he did that. I'm glad he's staggering Kate and Ivy in and out because we all have seen what Killian and Corey do together on the floor, and it's shit. So the fact he's staggering them out is keeping them in ball games right now. In the last two or three games, the defense is playing much better. That's something that has stood out to me between the Bucks and the Warriors game. Yeah, they're letting up like runs they have no business in letting up. Or, I mean, they're a bad team, so they have business in letting these runs up. But they end. You know, it's a 15 to 3 run, but it's done. There's not a run the rest of the game for any team. In the Warriors and the Bucks game, I, I love that Warriors game to death. I thought that was one of the best Pistons games I've watched in my life that I can remember. And then the Bucks game to follow that up on a back-to-back traveling to Milwaukee. And yes, they probably would not have been in that game if Chris Middleton was playing Joe Ingles was. You can't take that away from how they played on Monday night. They played with a chip on their shoulder. The young guys wanted to make a statement. Ivy, I will address that soon. There were a lot of shots that he took in that game that I was scratching my head at. But look, he's a rookie. He's going to make rookie mistakes. He's, you're playing the best defensive backcourt in basketball out of Wesley Matthews and Drew Holiday. Kate Cunningham's been in the league for over a year now, so those rookie mistakes, you see less and less of them with him. Ivy was never as mature as Kate coming in. And he probably won't be as mature as Cade for a couple of seasons. The sum of the plays he makes are head scratchers because it's a rookie. And I, I give him the break for that. Some of these turnovers, some of the floaters. I'm glad he's taking those shots. He has the confidence. That's what I'll say. Because a lot of players will miss those middies. They will miss the floaters. And they'll stop going to it. But at least he's willing to keep doing it. As a rookie, that's all you can ask for is confidence. And he plays with a lot of that. I am very, very, very impressed with him. You guys will sit here and be like, well, he's doing this, he's doing that. No, I'm telling you. Every single sign in my head points to Jaden Ivey being a superstar and Kate Cunningham being a superstar. And you got both of them running the city. You got a dynasty in the makings, potentially. What we're building here and what I've seen so far in the last couple games, the steady improvement. I don't I don't even think it was really steady. I think it was a sharp improvement overnight. I think after their second loss to the Hawks, I don't know what was said. I don't know what happened. But that team turned the corner completely. And like that, they were a completely different team. I don't know if it's the bet presence out of Boyan. I don't know if it's the bet presence from from New Orleans, Noel, and Alec Burks, even though Burks isn't playing. But from what I've seen in the last few games, Casey's coaching better. They're playing harder on the defensive end. And one of the biggest things that I've noticed is Sadiq and Boyan are starting to figure it out together. When Sadiq's on, Sadiq's on, people quickly forget about his random 50 ball last year. He's really good when he's on. He's really bad when he's off and if you can fix some consistency with him, he's still a piece of this franchise, I feel like. And also, like going back to the Bucks game, 
Either way, I would have been happy with that game. If they won that game, I'd be like, holy shit, they just beat the Warriors and the Bucks back to back night. On the flip side, all you can ask for is close games and losing close games right now. Because let's be realistic. They get into the plan. Do they do anything? No. It would be a lot of fun to see them play in the plan. At the end of the day, I think the prize for every rebuilding team, and the Pistons are still rebuilding, it's always been a three-year plan. This is year three of the plan. Every rebuilding team should be losing games this year. It's a shame Utah isn't. It's a shame San Antonio isn't because they're going to get themselves out of the Wemby race if they keep winning ball games. Right now, all I can ask for is to play close and lose. Uh, Victor Wembeyama in Detroit would basically mean this team is the next dynasty in sports. And... Good luck trying to beat them because you won't. And what's the funny part about all of it is for the first year, you're going to have Ivy Cade and Wembeyama and Dern all in rookie contracts. It's a dream. Troy Weaver, he took over the worst team in the league, in my opinion. That's a bad job to take over. He had bad contracts all over the books that were pretty, pretty hard to get rid of. You could talk about how Troy Weaver's been phenomenal at evaluating talent and drafting, but something that's not talked about enough is how he evaluates the cap space. Let's be real here. He's taken on bad contracts, and he has dumped them for assets, for for trade pieces. He knows that we're not winning, so let's just take on bad contracts and see what happens. Like we saw it last year, you know, DeAndre Jordan trade. We got five second rounders in the deal. I can't complain. You picked up a few bad contracts this offseason, too. And you said, how about we play some of these guys? See what happens. Let's see what Burks and Noel do. You know, they're not good contracts, but let's just see what happens. I think Boyan's contract. Okay. Going into the season, not right now, but going into the season, probably a pretty bad contract. He got rid of Jeremy Grant, like the way he is, he has played with the cap space has been gorgeous. And that's not talked about enough with Troy Weaver. We all talk about, you got Sadiq Bay, you got Kate Cunningham, you got Jaden Ivey. We don't talk about how he has all this cap space saved up for the soft season. And he's done it in a very smart and strategic way. And the Boyan contract partially guaranteeing his last year of his deal is another thing that says, wow, him evaluating the cap is unbelievable. What he's done has been fantastic so far. He gets an A+, but everything is all honky-dory until you start losing games when you're winning. Right now, I still think it's kind of the honeymoon phase for Troy Weaver, but he has sold me over as a fan. I think he's sold over every single Pistons fan in the city. Now it's about next year, what are we going to do? And this year, it's about how are we going to get better every single game? So we're 1% better every single game. That means we're 82% better by the end of the season. That's all I can ask for. Get 1% better every single game. And, I mean, if you look at that first game they played against Orlando or the second game they played against the Knicks, and you watch that and compare it to what they've played against the Bucks and the Warriors, it's night and day. When Cade Cunningham is playing good basketball, the team plays good basketball. When Cade Cunningham plays bad basketball, 
The team plays bad basketball. But when he's on the floor, his presence is no. Because when you watch the Pistons, when he's off the floor, even with when Ivy's on without him, it's a completely different squad. We got a gift out of him. We got very lucky. Rebuilds take luck, and we got lucky with him. And that was the best gift you can ask for. Moving into segment two, and this, okay, my mood's going to change now because I'm pissed about the TJ Hawkinson trade. You trade him to a division rival who's six and one right now, and they already have Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen and Dalvin Cook. They're going to draft a quarterback this year, likely, because Cousins sucks. So let's think about this for a second as Lions fans. Why would you do that? On top of that, why would you give up two number fours in the tr- in the trade just to get another second and a third? Look, in the fourth round, you win your draft. You could draft really well in the first and second round, but if you hit a fourth round pick, you win your draft every single time. And he hit well on honor on St. Brown in the fourth round. I'm not a fan of trading multiple picks and TJ Hawkinson, a guy who's going to re-sign in Minnesota. They're going to pay him. It's not a rental. If this was a rental and he was like, I'm not going to sign back with Minnesota, well, look, at the end of the day, trading the two fourths makes sense to me. But he's the tight end that team is missing. He's that piece on that offense that Kirk Cousins, it's a catastrophe if you don't get to the NFC Championship this year because the NFC sucks outside San Fran and Philly. If there's any year for him to get it done, it's this year for Kirk Cousins. On the flip side, let's talk about the Lions. Your offense was right there. Your offense has been one of the best in football this year when they're healthy. When Swift's healthy, when St. Brown is healthy, they are a completely different squad than they are without them. If you're telling me trading TJ Hawkinson was the right move, when your offense was right there, all you need to do was go out and spend money on the defense in the offseason. But you just trade off a pretty damn good tight end. And tight ends are hard to come by in the NFL. Let's think for a second. There's probably only four tight ends better than T.J. Hawkinson right now. And T.J. Hawkinson, I don't know if Mark Andrews is older than him, but he's younger than all of them. There's four tight ends more valuable than him. That's Travis Kelsey, George Kittle. I'm going to throw in Mark Andrews is Eckerts. Those are four tight ends that are better than him. T.J. Hawkinson's a young tight end. He receives well. Yeah, you guys can say about whatever you want about his blocking, but he's a really good receiving tight end. A good tight end in the NFL is very hard to come by. It's not like a replaceable position like you can draft a quarterback and replace it in a year. Receivers are replaceable. Running backs are replaceable. O-linemen are replaceable. But tight ends are not replaceable. That's a position where there's very, very few great tight ends in the league. Or good. Very good tight ends. Because Hawkinson's not great. He's a pretty damn good tight end. He makes your team better. For Campbell to go on his press conference and say, well, we got better. There's food on the table or some stupid analogy he said that's not cute because he sucks. How can a reporter follow up the question with you because you gave a vague answer 
about how are you going to utilize the tight ends and you sit there and you don't even comment on it. The whole city doesn't think you have a clue of what you're doing. And then for you to go on to a press conference and basically say you don't know what you're doing is unbelievable to me. It's fucking stupidity. This franchise is ran by the fucking biggest idiots in all sports. And when Brad Holmes comes out and says, if we were 6-1, and one, we'd still make the trade. I smoked today. Okay? I don't think I'm that high that I would say, yeah, I would trade off a valuable asset on my team because we're winning. I think it's one of the dumbest fucking things a GM has ever said. Basically, if we're winning, we're going to continue to sell off assets. You're, you're, you're an idiot, Brad Holmes. You're an idiot, Brad Holmes. You're an idiot, Dan Campbell. I hate it. And on top of that, what drives me insane is I don't think Brad Holmes has any control over Dan Campbell. He basically said that today. You have Rod Wood, who's the first guy I would fire out of the organization if I were to take over. I think he's the one, him and Spielman are the ones making that decision to fire Campbell. And Campbell's probably sold them on a bullshit six-year plan. What rebuild takes six years in the NFL? It's a two-year turnaround in this league. I, and baseball teams don't rebuild for six years. Unless your name's Al Avila, you don't rebuild for six years in any sport. It's not rocket science. You build through the draft. You build through free agency. You're just building through the draft right now. And you're basically saying, I'm going to continue to build through the draft by trading off assets for draft picks. I'm telling you right now, this is going to fail miserably. Absolutely miserably. And if you're still buying into this bullshit, hop off. Right now, I'm telling you, hop off right now. It's unbelievable how this franchise is ran by Rod Wood, a guy who came in and said on his first day, this is the only NFL franchise I'd be qualified to work for. That should say enough about him. That should say enough about the Ford family. That should say enough about the organization and how unserious they are about winning. If they were serious about winning, they'd fire Spielman, they'd fire Campbell, and they'd fire Rod Wood. But they won't because the Ford family is the dumbest fucking family in all pro sports. Brad Holmes, I I don't want to give him a break because I think he's an idiot as well. But at least he's showing he can draft. But it's not but to roll out that defense this year is inexcusable. It's inexcusable you sat there and you rolled out that defense for me. That's the defense the fans have to see every fucking Sunday. But I do think he has his hands tied and he can't rebuild the way he wants to rebuild. And I'm not giving him a break. But for him to come out and say, if you were 6-1 and I still would have made the trade, you're an idiot. You're an idiot, you're an idiot, you're an idiot. But I just want to preview shortly today and Friday more of MSU and Michigan basketball. I've done a lot of research on Michigan basketball, and I'm actually really impressed with them. Um, I think Musa and Caleb Houston leaving is really going to make a difference for Jawan Howard this year. I think they were your issue, and I think they're gone. You ended up having a top-ten class again this year 
and they killed the transfer portal with Jalen Wallen. I love Jalen Wallen. I loved him at Princeton. When I saw him on the portal, I was like, wow, he's going to Michigan. Kid's probably a really smart kid, too, if he's going to Princeton and Michigan. They're going to be good. They're deep. And they have, I mean, they had some good players this year. They got Llewellyn. So, okay, so this is my guess of their game one starting lineup. I think Llewellyn, easily point guard. I think they're going to go Bothkin, Terrence. They're going to start the Yusuf kid. Can't pronounce his last name, so I'm going to say Yusuf. And Hunter Dickinson. I think that's a top three starting lineup in the Big Ten. IU is much better than them. And I think IU is heads above everybody in the Big Ten this year. That's how good I think IU is and how bad the Big Ten is. The bench, I actually like the bench. You see what you want about Joey Baker at Duke? I mean, you're sitting on a team full of five stars. And you're sitting behind guys who are all NBA players. So, yeah, I mean, he's not a crazy good player. He's good senior leadership, and he'll probably get some minutes on the floor this year. So Joey Baker more than likely will be their sixth man. I think Jason Jett gets some play time right away, and Terrace Reed gets minutes. That's my take on Michigan basketball. I think that's their lineup to start the season. That's a lineup that can contend for the Big Ten title. I just think there's a lot of teams better than them that will win the title. I, I think Arkansas is my preseason pick. Oh, I, I, I'm i a big fan of Eric Musselman. I'm a big fan of Nick Smith. So Arkansas is my pre- preseason pick. But the problem is for Michigan, the talent this year is pretty damn good for college basketball. I'm a big fan of Creighton. Big fan of Duke, Houston, Gonzaga, UNC, and Arkansas. I think those are teams you got. And Kansas. I mean, you got to run through all those teams this year. And it's not going to be so easy. Michigan will contend for a Big Ten title. They'll probably be a Sweet 16-ish team. Which is a very successful year, in my opinion, for Michigan basketball. I also think I would not be shocked if they got to the Final Four. This is what I'll say. Look at every single team who has won March Madness in the past few years. Or not in the past few years. Look at every team in the last 20 years. Every team has a stud senior point guard, a stud big man, and they have a roster full of seniors. Outside of the one year of Kentucky that they won, which was like the most insane roster I've ever looked at, a freshman. Outside of that year, every year, that's how you win March Madness. You also got to be able to play offense and defense. I haven't seen that yet out of Michigan. But... From what I've seen is they have all three, and those three check the boxes for me, of a team that could take a really deep run and surprise some people. So we'll see what happens with Michigan basketball. I'm not the biggest Juwan Howard fan. I think that he's a very average coach, and I thought he was holding the roster back last year substantially. But year three now, I think with Juwan, sorry, year four now of Juwan, this is his like prove it year. I mean, he's done a phenomenal job so far. He's gotten to an elite eight. He was going to make the tournament during COVID uh, year of COVID with a pretty bad roster, which were none of his guys. And then last year, I thought it was a bullshit run because they got home court advantage, being an eleven seed. But 
you know what? They took a run to the Sweet 16. That's what it shows on the record. That's what it shows in every every record book. So, say what you want about their bracket. They got the Sweet 16 in a bullshit way, but all that matters is they got there. So, I mean, they keep getting Sweet 16 Elite Eight every year. I think that's a very successful program because everybody knows how hard it is to win March Madness. Izzo's only won it once. Izzo's one of the best coaches in the history of college basketball. And he's been in a drought now for, it's going to be now a 23-year drought for him of winning a chip. It is not easy to win in college basketball. If there's any sport that's the hardest to win a title, it's easily March Madness. So, I mean, Sweet 16 Elite Eight, I think that's where Michigan is, and that's a very good season. My expectations on the flip side for Michigan State are very, very low, especially after that exhibition game. I think that when if you're down in Grand Valley at halftime, that's a horrible look on the program. They'll be fine. They'll, they'll, they'll slip in the tournament this year because, I mean, their strength of schedule is ridiculous. After their first game, they go play Gonzaga, Kentucky, Villanova, Alabama, and then they're at Notre Dame for five games in a row. Also, they have that little tourney down in Oregon where they play more games against ranked teams in that stretch. So, looking at Michigan State basketball, if this was next year and that was your schedule, I'd be like, okay, bring it on. This year, it's like, you're just going to kill this team's confidence if you lose all of those games. And you're likely going to lose all of those games. Alabama's the only game I'm going to give them a chance at. You can scratch Gonzaga, Kentucky. Villanova is a question mark without Jay Wright, but I still think Villanova has enough talent that they'll blow out Michigan State. And going to Notre Dame for ACC Big Ten Challenge won't be easy, and that's probably another loss because that's a team just as good as you, in my opinion. Both of those teams will fight for a tournament spot. I don't like this team at all. I don't like Malik Hall playing the three, playing on the wing. I don't like the depth. I don't like anything about this roster, to be completely honest with you. I like Hogar. I like Walker. I like Aikens off the bench. Um, but at the end of the day, man, I mean, if your bigs are Malik Hall, Joey Hauser, and Maddie Sissoko, there's really nowhere to go with this roster. Like, if Sissoko comes out and shocks me this year, what's his face? If Jackson Kohler comes out, shocks me this year. Which, I'm watching the exhibition game, he's going to be really good. And, you know, I've watched a lot of his tape, and I really like his offensive game. His offensive game, he can be a guy who puts up 17 points per game at the college level, seriously. If they run the offense through him, he would be phenomenal. He has no defense from what I saw in film. That's obviously something you can work on. You know, if there's any coach that's going to make a big man great, it's Tom Izzo. Same thing with Sissoko. I, I think they got a whole offseason to, to fix this, and they really didn't. They kind of just said, well, we're going to throw away the year and go all in next year, which is fine with me. I don't have an issue with that. But it just sucks. It's my senior year here. You know, after freshman year, you're like, title, title, title. Because after Cassius, and, and it's just been downhill from there. And it kind of sucks. Because I remember the basketball games freshman year were the most fun games. And I went like twice last year. It's like, this just is not the same. Like, it's not the same energy. I wish 
it was like this for four years and it sucks that it's happened like this, but I'm very confident in Tom Izzo going forward and his vision going forward to try to get his last title because he wants it more than everybody else. I've reached that point where it's like, you can't sit here and bitch about this year. He's just got to make the tournament. That's it. Just make it. Get in. Continue the streak. Because all that matters to me is just to continue that, that tournament streak. Moving into my last thing of the day, I wanted to just say some final thoughts about the post-game fight, and then we're just going to move on from it from here because it's just beating a dead horse. I mean, I'll continue to talk about it, um, but I did want to bring up parts that I kind of missed and glazed over when I was talking about it on Monday. I think that Michigan State is doing a great job handling this the right way. I would like for Tucker to reach out to Harbaugh. That's something I, I, I strongly believe. But I think the next step, and Tucker, if Tucker wants to be a real, wants to show he's a real man, he wants to show that he's a real coach, you get all eight of those guys you have suspended so far, and there will probably be more suspensions looming. Every one of these guys that have been in this fight, both of the fights, whoever's been in these ones, I want a public apology press conference schedule, they publicly apologize to the program. They publicly apologize to the families and they publicly apologize to the players. And every player should reach out to the family and apologize as well. And honestly, I think if they were to apologize to the family, there's a better chance the charges get dropped for them. It's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do to apologize. And I think that if Tucker wants to show he's a man, and wants to show he's trying to make his players into real men. They fucked up. They made a really stupid mistake. The dumbest mistake they'll make, hopefully the dumbest mistake they'll make in their entire life happened on Saturday. If Tucker wants to build these guys into men and show he's a real coach, you, you sit them up in that podium, you make them write out handwritten apology, and you apologize to the families, to the public, to the press. That is the right thing to do. And there's no place in rival in this rivalry for any of this to happen again. And unfortunately, it's going to keep happening. So I'm going to wrap up now. I'm really excited for the Pistons game tonight. Another one against the Bucs. I'll come back Friday and recap that game. Preview the weekend. That's going to be no- another miserable time for me. 